Hey, everybody, if you have been loving the show so far, we would love your support in helping us grow. You can do that by subscribing and leaving us a review when you're finished with today's episode. Thanks. Strength is a product of struggle. So I think like struggling at a young age to find even just happiness on my own, I had to develop strength back then. Mm -hmm. It's kind of uncharted territory for a lot of people too. So I had to find a way to figure it out and still choose happiness, even going through some of our hardest times. Hey everyone, welcome back to She's Simply Amazing, a podcast all about sharing the stories of women that can inspire us to live a huge, beautiful, and amazing life. I'm your host, Carrie Brinton. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited for our guest today. I say that every single week. <laughs> I sincerely mean it every week, oh. and I really mean it this week. Mandy's here. Yay! Yay! Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Do you, so you know when you like, we were just saying this, when you meet somebody and you feel like you're best friends, and then with you, I was like, my husband asked me, how do you know her? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really, but I you really do. <laughs> It was his previous life. I think it must have been because I think sometimes you meet people in life and you connect really quickly. We've literally before this podcast met once for 10 minutes. Yeah, probably. I think we talked a couple of times throughout the day, but it was kind of like one of those things I just wanted to grab you and pull you aside and be like, hey, let's talk longer. I know. So we're like really good friends that literally met an hour ago. Totally fine. (laughs) I'm so excited to have her. You guys are going to love Mandy. She has the coolest personality ever. Let me give you a bit of an introduction and we'll get into her story. So Mandy Shaw is the owner of Infinity Dance up in Ogden, Utah. Yes, North Ogden, and well, the North area, so not North Ogden, but the northern part of Utah. Northern part of Utah. An amazing dance studio. I've seen your performances. They're incredible. You are so sweet. She is the mother of six. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Six adorable children, and she just opened a new online clothing store called She Said. And you can find it on Instagram. Is there a website, too, or just Instagram? The website is shesaidstyles.com. Shesaidstyles.com. Yep. And Instagram is at said. One, like my username too. I know, apparently a couple people beat me to the Mandy Shaw and also the She Said, so I'm one. So that weighs into the other thing that you do is she is a big presence on Instagram, at Mandy Shaw One, and I have to say, your stuff is so, it's inspirational, but I think what I love most about it is it's just, it's real. It's super real. That is so sweet of you to say, honestly. Like, my biggest mission is just to be myself. It's like... I didn't really realize that we would get to this point on social media Mm -hmm. when I started becoming more active on it. But I just feel like once you gain even a small following or like a bigger audience, I think it's an opportunity to share real life and to share hard things, but to share awesome things too. And I don't know, I think you kind of are asking to be transparent when Mm -hmm. you decide to show up on social media. I think a lot of people aren't. I think a lot of people aren't real, unfortunately, but I was reading through a lot of your stuff and it was, it was really touching because you can tell it's sincere and you can tell it's not there to gain followers. You can tell (laughs) it is there to uplift other people. And you do, you share, you share inspiring stuff, you share entertaining stuff, you share funny stuff, and then you share a lot of the hard stuff too. I, and you've got a story in your life that is a really hard story, but But it's part of what makes me me and what makes, I don't know, to me, my life so beautiful is all the things that I've been able to overcome, but also to 
find my true happiness. Like I feel yeah. like even at 42, I've been through all of this stuff and some super hard things too. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say that I feel more at peace and I feel more happiness than I've ever felt in my life right now. Even in the middle of a pandemic and even still facing some hard things like business-wise and everything, mm-hmm. I really I feel happier than I've ever felt. I've been married for 22 years and obviously if anyone's been married for a long time, you know that that definitely has ups and downs too. But yeah, I can honestly say that I have been able to work through those things. And I feel like at the core, I'm just genuinely, I feel joy. I'm so happy for you. I'm glad to hear that. You're so sweet. Thanks. Start with telling us. Okay. So let's actually start this interview here. Okay. (laughs) I know. We were just chatting. I know. Like an hour later, like we should do a podcast. Yeah. We we could have been recording some of this stuff. We should have hit record on this. All right. So you do have this positivity. You have this real light about you. I do think that you just draw people in. Part of it is your flaming red (laughs) hair that is not like real red hair. Well, I mean, I couldn't. My hair does not grow past my shoulders. It literally stops. It stops. It doesn't grow. Oh. I mean, this is a halo. <laughs> that's not even your real so, hair. So, I mean, it's mostly my real hair, but I do have a couple but of I'm little extensions. But I'm going to guess that's not your real color. It's not. You it's got me gorgeous. for the majority of my life. I was blonde. Oh, well, really? Kind of like, we call it the Mormon blend. Cosmetolo- hey, cosmetology. Hey, I have that. Yeah. I have that. So everyone highlights it, yes. and we're usually blonde. So I was that yeah. for about 20 years. But I've been red for about 12 I think that is one of the things that obviously makes you stand out because no one has your hair color. It's (laughs) so cute. But tell us, okay, tell us who you are and then tell us what inspired you. And I want you to talk about your grandma because you share a lot of stories about her. So tell us a little bit about how you see yourself and your personality and then maybe how your grandmother influenced that. Okay. Well, I grew up next door to my grandma and grandpa. Their last name is Jepson, but so my grandma Grace. We call her Grandma Grace, and even in some of my sister's posts, you'll see her reference Grandma Grace too. She was just so fun. She was obsessed with shopping. She was obsessed with jewelry, kind of to the point of like over the top. So it's like yeah. you're like a, told like to a, take off one piece. She would just add more. So you know, she was just and even like, like a character, like yeah, a totally, movie character, absolutely. And I mean, interestingly enough, she. She suffered from severe bipolar, too. So she, yeah, so when she was high, like, on her manic ends, she was, like, over the top. But then she would have, like, two weeks that she wouldn't get out of bed. So I grew up kind of seeing that, but, like, I really only was around her during her, yeah, the ups. So I think I have that part. I have that definitely from her, the high. So (laughs) that's super interesting because— you hear a lot of that, like people that have such extremes in their personality. How did you get away with only taking the up? Because I'm sure you saw the down. You obviously know that it was there. I'm super curious, like, how did you pull the good and not be impacted necessarily by the bad? Or were you? I don't know. You know, well, I think it made me more aware, definitely, and to even look for that, like, in my own children, because I Uh did see that. By nature, I tend to be an optimist. I know that people say that you're born certain ways. I I really think that there are tendencies that you, like personality traits, like I have six kids and all of my kids are different. Uh Some are naturally more optimistic, Mm -hmm. like even from a young age. Totally. And I definitely can say that by nature, I'm an optimistic person. I've always loved being around people. I'm super social. So that to me is important. And I think at an early age, I realized the happier you are, the more fun you are to be around. Like, positive attracts positive. Mm-hmm, you know, totally. negative does not attract positive. And if it does, it's only in a negative way, and then nobody wants to be around that anymore. So anyway, I think that, I don't know. 
just by nature, so you I was nature. more optimistic. Yeah. And so you were able to pull that positive piece from your grandma and take some of the more flamboyant, fun parts of her life and incorporate them. She even um, bought a convertible when she was, I don't know, probably 76. And I'd be sitting outside <laughs> of my awesome. friend's house down the street, and I would see this white car and little gray fuzz sticking up <laughs> over the seat and like a honk, like going 90 miles an hour. I did inherit that car at 16, and it only had like 16,000 miles on it, and it was four years old. So I got my grandma's convertible. Okay, that's <laughs> awesome. That yeah, that was awesome. pretty fun. Okay, but, so, but your grandma also is part of another story you were just telling me that I think is so interesting. Yeah. Is this the same car that's part of this this story? I mean, no, this was this was before. Are you talking about like the eighth grade story? Yeah, so yeah. tell us the eighth grade story so because— You want to go back then. We'll go you back, go like, back a year. Like a couple of years before that. Okay, tell that us be. what happened and, and because this grade. story kind of has an impact on your life. Okay, now, just to preface this story, I do not condone this behavior. <laughs> okay. And because I was a little bit of a free spirit and I wasn't a super wild teen, but I I call myself a free spirit. That's a better way of putting like it, it, right? Versus yeah. rebellious. Yeah. So my friends and I liked to push boundaries a little bit too. And it started off at my my friend Katie's house. We One day her parents were gone, so we thought we would take a little joy ride, ride it in the neighborhood in her dad's car. But lucky for us, he had a tennis ball in the garage, so we knew right where to right park where it. Right where to put it. Yeah, yeah, so we would just— Eighth grade, it is way too young. I would like kill 14, my kids. 15? Yeah, 14. I would kill my kids. Yeah. But because I did experiment a little, I know better. So I know what to look for, <laughs> and my kids all know. That's right. Anyway, so my grandparents that lived next door to us, they had a carport— which they would leave their car in their carport with the keys in it. Well, then so, it's their fault. Yeah, my friends and I thought we would sneak out and drive their car and got caught in the middle of the night. And Who I caught mean, you? I feel like one of our parents called called the police and the police. So the police caught you, but you're pretty sure you were set up. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so I mean, just a little rebellious streak, not too crazy, but a little bit of testing boundaries and testing limits. And then I'm the oldest of six kids, and mm-hmm. my mom was super bu- busy. My parents both had their own businesses. And so then before I knew it, I was living as a foster child in Orem for almost a year in eighth grade. Was there—okay, this is—that's shocking. I mean, that's really a shocking result from know. that. Was there discussion that went on in your family? Like, was there a lot of— Fighting that said, like your parents said, okay, she's not going to take accountability for this. We need to do something more you know, severe. How did that end up happening? I remember like having a conversation about it. When my, when my mom and I talk about it now, she mm-hmm. says that we conversed about it and made the decision together. I remember having the conversation about it. My mom and I definitely have completely different personalities. I'm what oh, okay. I have termed myself as a kind of a sasshole. <laughs> Just like sarcastic and (laughs) I'll make light of anything. Even when I'm sad, that's how I cope. Like, I'm just sarcastic and— I really like that Yeah, I like to say funny things when I'm—I would rather do that than cry, honestly. So, but—and my mom's very serious, which is great. Like, we need all kinds of people, too, but our personalities definitely clashed. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, so we fought a lot. Um, I mean, we're great friends now, but in that stage of my life, like, we just butted heads and I— I'm sure that at that time, my personality was a lot, but yeah, I mean, I do think it was definitely extreme. Yeah. What was that like? Talk, what how, I mean, what were your, because you were 15 at this point? 14. 14 at this yeah. point. You knew what was going on. Yeah. What was going through your head as you were placed in a foster it home? It was what very feeling? strange. And the first, I actually lived with two different families. And funny enough, like, I have a friend now that, like, 
is family with the like the family that I lived with, one of the families that I lived with there. So it's kind of weird how that like full circles. But I remember the first night I was dropped off at the house. It was really weird because my siblings were really upset about it, and my Mm -hmm. sister Chelsea, who I'm super close to, we're six years apart, but. I remember just the whole way down there, she was just bawling her eyes out. I don't think that I understood really what it was, what Mm -hmm. was happening at that age. Mm -hmm. And the first home that I lived in, there was another foster child living there too, which they ended up adopting, interestingly enough. But so I had at least that, like the comfort of her kind of knowing how I was feeling. So I had her to talk to. I don't know. It's just weird. There's got to be a lot of resentment, right? I mean. Or were were you feeling like, You deserved it at the moment. I definitely think that I didn't understand the level of the resentment until I was older Mm -hmm. and had an experience with my own child that kind of like brought me back to that place. And I didn't realize that there were some unresolved feelings there. And yeah, I mean, definitely it brings up feelings kind of of abandonment. Yeah. You know, so and honestly, the first night that I was there was the first time I'd ever been exposed to some things that I'd never seen before. So coming from a little town, I grew yeah. up in a little town. It's called it's called Brigham City. Yeah. So up, you know, up yeah. that way. And so, yeah, I definitely had a lot of exposure. Did you have contact with your family while you were in that yeah. house? Home? Yeah. I mean, they. I would go home for holidays and stuff too. And then we would talk like once a week. So, yeah, it's crazy. It's kind of crazy to like look back and think about now. But I know, I genuinely know that my mom thinks it. And I mean, my dad is pretty... He's pretty mellow, so he just kind of goes with the flow. My mom definitely, like, wears the pants in the family, you know? Uh-huh. So, but I genuinely think that my mom thought that she was doing what she could to help me. And I guess save me, even though, to my defense, I don't feel like I was that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems like a fairly extreme <laughs> answer to that. I might have a few kids that were in foster care. <laughs> Right? There's, that's what I jokingly tell my kids. I'm like, don't think that. Oh, I know how to do it. I know. It sounds like you maybe had a different family environment than what you are now. I mean, I, here's the Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. I think that a lot of people assume that if they look at someone like you, I'm going to kind of get all philosophical here for a second. Yeah. I think when people will look at, say, your Instagram page, which is full of happiness. And I I do think it's super real and it's not at all fabricated by any means, but it is full of happiness and And a little bit of sassholeness. Sassholeness. (laughs) Little sassy. I I couldn't think of the word, (laughs) but it's dancing and it's smiling and it's you with your kids and you're very complimentary of your kids. Anyway, you have, it's it's a great feeling when you go to your page. I really love it. That makes me happy. That's my, that's my whole mission behind it. So I think you're doing a good job, but I think a lot of people, when they see that now, they assume that everything has always been good for you, right? That's our natural tendency is to be like, well, she had a great relationship with her parents. She had a great upbringing. And the only reason she can be so happy right now is because everything worked out for her. So I think it's so uh, interesting and really enlightening to see that, you know what, you didn't have the perfect upbringing and you did have a lot of reason that you could have ended up being resentful. And so- Yeah, and I think, too, that is why I feel like it's so important to share, like, on my social media. You've probably noticed that I do share some of the hard things. You do, yeah. Yeah, some of the hard things that I've been through. I talk about it because, you know, like, if you've ever been through anything traumatic, I mean, you can either choose to stay there or you can move out of it. I mean, my favorite analogy that I've ever heard is before anything bad ever happened in your life, right? And this is on another podcast somewhere, like, a long time ago. My Mm -hmm. sister, I think, actually shared this story with me, but— You can view before anything traumatic happened to you as the yellow world, right? 
So right. that's like untainted. Everything's great. You ride your bike to the store and get candy when you're a little kid, whatever. Yeah. So nothing bad has happened. So then something traumatic happens to you, whether it's by choice or life Others, or yeah. yeah, nature, something bad happens, you get thrown into the blue world. So after that happens, after you've been thrown into the blue world, going back to the yellow world is not an option. Like, that doesn't exist anymore. You can't get back there once you've experienced the blue world. Mm -hmm. So you can either stay there, you can make a home there in the blue world, or you learn how to live your best life in the green world. Mm. Which, it doesn't mean that you can't go back and visit the blue world, because honestly, there's days where you do. It's kind of like the analogy, too, where you can put your grief or your trauma, put it in a box, and you can put it up on a shelf. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes I take it down, and I open it, and I look inside of it. And then sometimes it gets knocked off the shelf, and then everything is everywhere. Yeah. But so it's just, I feel like it's a choice, honestly. When you have something traumatic happen to you, you can stay there and live in it and become a victim. And then you can make excuses for poor behavior the rest of your life. Or you can be like, okay, what can I take from this? How can I help someone else, honestly? Mm, I love it. So can we talk about Dylan? Yep. You have six children, and one of them is now an angel in heaven. Mm -hmm. So would you mind kind of telling us that story? Because the foster child story is, is interesting. <laughs> I know, interesting. right? That's intense. It is intense, but by no means the most uh, in intense thing that you've had to go through. So I have to say, I think my experience in eighth grade in ways did prepare me for what was coming up, you know, what was to come in motherhood. So I've been married for 22 years. We have six kids, not Yay. on purpose. <laughs> all of my kids all the time, Except they'll be like, wait, wait, was I on purpose? <laughs> like, I'm not telling you which one was, but oh. you also said that you would love to have 20 kids. I mean, I can now. now after, yeah. after this, it's like, what's like 20 more? Yeah, if, Bring they them come, on. if they come as teenagers, then it's a lot easier. Right, right, right. right. I don't know. Okay, so been married for 22 years. We have six kids. I didn't mean to get pregnant with number six. And guess what? He has been the best. He is like our gift. He is a perfect child. Yeah. The rest of my kids already know that Drew, our youngest, is the golden child. <laughs> so towards the end of my pregnancy with Drew, I had about two weeks to go. And I remember standing in front of the fridge one night and I just had this feeling come over me. I had had no miscarriages. I had healthy pregnancies. And I had this feeling, it was like a voice just said like, what if there's something wrong with this baby? You've had five healthy kids. You've had nothing wrong with any of your kids. I mean, allergies, maybe. Mm -hmm. But like, other than that, we really hadn't had anything wrong with any of our kids. And so fast forward to a couple weeks later, I had went into labor, had Dylan. And then the first time that the rest of our kids came to see the new baby in the hospital, they came in. Our oldest, Dawson, was 11 at the time. And then Dylan, our son Dylan, was nine. And he came in and he was looking at the baby and he's like, Oh, he's so cute. He's so cute. He said it probably like seven times. So I said, Dylan, what's the matter? Why, why are you talking like that? Because it was kind of slow and withdrawn, like mm -hmm. he was tired. Different. Yeah. And he said, huh? And he turned to look at me, and then one eye kind of trailed after the other. And mm. it caught me off guard. I mean, you know what your kids look like, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like we can see those little tiny changes in our kids. But so after they went home that night, I told my husband, I'm like, Ryan, I, there's something wrong with Dylan. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, it's just, and he complained about headaches a little bit before too, mm. before that time. But so I'm like, I think you need to take him to our pediatrician. So my husband took him to our pediatrician, who was a friend of mine from elementary school. And he kind of did a little quick physical and said, I think he's got sinusitis with a headache and everything. So he put him on an antibiotic, like a 10-day antibiotic. 
I just, I didn't feel right about it. I'm like, no, there's something more. There's something in his eyes. So from there, he took him to an eye doctor, and the eye doctor dilated his eyes, and he said, I don't see anything behind his eyes, but they are a little bit of a different size. So if you want me to write you a referral for a CAT scan for just, like, peace of mind, I'm happy to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, for sure. When I called my pediatrician, he's like, okay, let me know what they say. Just kind of, I no, think, no, in the way. Yeah, no, definitely yeah. not. So I had to call around, I know, with a newborn trying to find a place to do a CAT scan of my son that I knew something was wrong with. So finally we got him in, and the radiologist told my husband, he's like, okay, I can't tell everything from CAT scans, but there's too much crowding in the neck area. I think he needs an MRI. So then I sent that to my pediatrician, and he sped up the process to get a quick MRI. We got it a couple days later, and it turns out it was a brainstem tumor called DIPG. And the day that we found out, I was home alone with my one-week-old baby, just nursing. The kids had gone to Grandma's house, and it just sounded like all my kids were home with my husband, and it was really loud. And They flung the door open, and my husband screamed, he has a brain tumor, it's aggressive, we have to meet with primaries. And at that point, we didn't know what kind it was. And my cute little nine-year-old son ran across my bedroom and threw himself on me and told me he didn't want to die. (laughs) So at that point, we didn't know that it was a terminal brain tumor. And so I promised him that we were going to do everything we could and that we were going to fix it. So then when we went to primaries a couple days later, my mom had to sit out in the car. Well, actually, my mother-in-law sat out in the car with my brand-new baby because he couldn't go in. And then my mother came in with us and sat out in the waiting room with Dylan. And then we were brought into a room where they told us that he had a, it's called a diffuse intrinsic ponting glioma in the brainstem, so DIPD for short, and that it has a 0% chance survival rate. No chance. No chance because only— 250 to 300 kids in the United States get a year, get it a year, so it just doesn't make enough noise. So they've been treating it the same way for now 50 years. But this really not, there's really no so, treatment. Yeah, no, no treatment. I mean, they do radiation, sometimes chemo, but they gave us 12 to 18 months, and then we only made it four. So he passed away when our youngest was four months old. So what do you do? What What is that moment like? I mean, just when they say there's no chance— so different than when they say, when they give you hope. Small, when yeah, there's hope even there's given, a glimmer. Right? Did you really at that moment lose all hope? Did you just resign to that? You know, what? me being the optimist <laughs> that I am, in that moment when we were given that information, I I went into shock for sure. I didn't cry. I literally sat there and like I felt completely numb. My husband, who is six five, two hundred eighty pounds, he's a player. big guy. Yeah, he was a. And I just remember going into shock. And I kind of went into fight syndrome. And I think that that's just who I am. By nature is I'm a fighter. Mm -hmm. And I vowed I was going to do everything I could. And I wasn't going to stop until he took his last breath to try and do everything I could Mm -hmm. to find some kind of a cure. And you always think that you could be that person because someone's going to survive. At some point, someone's going to survive. Like, why not you? So we did. I mean, we exhausted every effort. We tried to make our poor little nine-year-old be vegan and plant-based <laughs> diet. That lasted for a day. Yeah. And the best piece of advice that I got from one of my friends who had a son with cancer, who actually beat cancer, but she told me, she's like, you know, if this is what the last of his life's going to look like, why not let him eat his favorite sandwich? Yeah. Or let him have his favorite treats. And so— Is that a battle, I would assume, between— 
not even just being vegan, but like putting your child through something that you know has such a slim chance versus do I just enjoy the time that I have with them? We, you- we definitely got to that point very fast. I mean, we did mm-hmm. everything. Well, my husband, I told you, went to Mexico to get stem cells and he we did all the oils. You have so many people coming at you, mm-hmm. offering you, you should do this, you should do that. And then some people are trying to sell you products and yeah. like kind of almost trying to take advantage of the situation. Yeah. yeah, you just have to get to a point where you just listen to your instincts as a mother and like what's going to be the best for my child and as it came down to like the end of his life like I remember my husband's uncle had lost his wife and his son within like a six-month period and he told my husband he's like you know sometimes I feel like we keep people around long enough not because we should but because we can Mm -hmm. so we got to the point where Dylan was so miserable he could hardly walk and he just wanted to swim and he wanted to do all the things that everyone else could do but he couldn't uh-huh. And he was miserable. And the steroids had made him gain like 17 pounds within a period of weeks. And mm-hmm. so we got to the point where we we're just like, you know, we love him enough that we want him to be happy. So enter my tears. Yeah. But yeah, so they gave us a choice towards the end, whether we put him on chemo for a couple of months and that would just kind of keep him miserable mm-hmm. for two months and then he'd get sicker and lose all of his hair. He'd already lost some of it from the radiation. But it's just like we loved him enough to let him go. What were some of those best moments that you had with him in those oh four gosh. months? The crazy thing is, is he's nine years old. We have yeah. our two youngest kids are the same age that our oldest two were when Dylan passed away. And they're oh. best friends, too. It's like all of our kids have come and said, it's like, two, boy, two, boy, two. girl, girl, boy, boy. So it's like our oldest is missing his best friend. So our oldest two are the very same ages that. I mean, our youngest two, excuse me, are the very same ages that our now. oldest two were when the, the other passed yeah. away and their best friends, just like Dawson and Dylan were. Yeah. And so I can't, I look at them and there's no way that our youngest two could ever do what our oldest two did. So it's like Dylan at nine, towards the end of his life, was more my age than he was a nine-year-old. It's like his soul just matured and he was honestly my best friend. And it was really weird because at that time, my mother-in-law would show up at our house every day. My husband still kind of had to work. I mean, there were great people yeah. that gave him some of their time off, but he still had to work. And lucky for me, I have awesome employees that ran my studio like a charm for a year while I stepped away from my family. But my mother-in-law would come every day, and I don't really remember the first six months of my youngest life. Anyway, so my mother-in-law, she would show up every day, and she would take care of my baby so I could take care of Dylan. So I've apologized to Drew so many times. I'm like, I don't remember you. So I kind of, I still have that last child regret. Like, I feel like I didn't really get to enjoy that. So I'm looking forward to grandbabies for that, for that matter. But so she would come every day so I could take care of Dylan. And honestly, even though I had five other kids at the time, after he passed away, I almost felt lost. Like, for a moment in time, because, like, my whole entire world revolved around him. Like, if I ever even went to the grocery store, he'd call me. He's like, where are you? You're taking forever. And he would always tell me that I was just the right amount of squishy because I just had a baby. (laughs) So he loved to cuddle with me. And he was funny, and he would crack jokes. And he was a lot like me. Like, even when he was suffering, he was still— Yeah, kind of your personality. Yeah, just sarcastic and hilarious and would make us laugh all the time. So, But, yeah, he taught us a lot, and he taught a lot of people a lot. We had a blog at the time, and we had so many people reach out to us and tell us how much his story changed them, even just the way that they treated their kids or the way that they approached life. And why did you decide to share in that moment? Sometimes I wonder how 
much strength it must take to be able to not only deal with your life, but then share your life. Was that helpful for you? Absolutely. For me, yes. Mm-hmm. Again, my husband and I have different personalities too, where I am such an open book. And mm-hmm. for me to get over something, and I think that's why I can get over things really fast because sure I like them. to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to get it all on the table and be like, okay, here, here it is. <laughs> Let's talk about it. I would probably like self-combust if I had to keep things to yeah. myself or like internalize. So for me, that was very healing and to be able to be honest about it and open to it. And also at the same time too, it lets people, other people know that they're not alone mm-hmm. in their struggles, that other people struggle too. And just the transparency of it too, I think helped other people and myself mostly. So you, you said earlier that having that experience in foster care helped you as a mother. Did it did it lend to this experience or overall as a mother it helped you? I think D, all of the above. My favorite quote of life is strength is a product of struggle. So I think like struggling at a young age yeah. to find even just happiness on my own, really. I mean, I had I had to develop strength back then. So I feel in a way too, I mean, it's kind of uncharted territory for a lot of people too. So yeah, I've had to find a way to figure it out and still choose happiness, even going through some of our hardest times. And so once Dylan passed on, what did life look like for those first few months, few years? How hard? I remember the first time, I remember the first time after Dylan passed away that I went to the store was probably I think I went to Target about two weeks after he passed away, which mm-hmm. I think I just needed to get out at that moment. And that's when you could go to Target. Yeah. <laughs> that's when you could do the <laughs> yeah. things and wander and people were normal. <laughs> but yeah. So I remember just wandering around the store by myself and I was r- really depressed. And I remember my doctor at the time, my OB, had given me a prescription for medication for depression because, I mean, I just had a baby. Yeah. So postpartum. You had every. Yeah, but I didn't feel anything. When he put me on the medication, and I'm such a feeler, and I'm such an emoter, I remember feeling nothing. I remember walking around Target thinking, nobody knows what I just went through. Like, nobody knows, and everyone's happy. Like, I was kind of doing the comparison thing, which you don't ever know. Like, the person next to me could have been going through something similar, and I wouldn't have known. But I remember just thinking to myself, I'm like, okay. And people have been giving me grief books, and I didn't love the word grief. I didn't. I just wanted to know how to be happy again. And so I was wandering in the store, and literally it was like a spotlight was shining down on this book, and it was called The Happiness Project. Oh, yeah. And it was on sale for 20% off. And I bought that book right then. And then that weekend, my husband and I went to Park City just for the weekend just to get away, just the two of us, because we'd been so overwhelmed just with everyone and everything. And I just laid in my bed, and we would sit by the pool kind of just to get some vitamin D. I read that book, and so many of the things that she said in there— really resonated with me. I just wanted to find my happy again. And I think that grief is natural and it's healthy and it's good, but grief can easily cross over into depression. So I just wanted to always make sure that I was keeping that in check. So I didn't like how I was feeling on the antidepressants, which I know that they help so many people. So Mm -hmm. I'm not like an antidepressant, anti-person. But for me, feeling nothing was worse than feeling the things for me. So Mm -hmm. I opted to not take that. And for me, really putting an intention on becoming, like finding my happiness again was what that looked like. And yeah, so then fast forward to six months down the line, I still wasn't feeling great. I was still trying to find my happy. And then I decided, I'm like, I know what to do. 
I know how to do this. So I put on my headphones because I love music. Like, mm-hmm. music speaks to me. Music, I feel like my life should have a background track. You're a dancer. You're I'm not a dancer. just a studio owner. Yeah, you are a no, dancer. No, like, and honestly, yeah. when music comes on, it's almost like I hallucinate. We yeah. just start creating choreography. It's like, I feel like my life should just have background music. So I put on my headphones and I went for a walk. And then I started running. And then after that, I really started taking the time to get back in physical shape. It took me a year. Like at that point, I gained 85 pounds in my last pregnancy because I had so many kids. I was busy and all I wanted to eat was cheeseburgers. Like it's totally fine. And I'm like, if there's ever a time to do that, it's now. That's it. Yes. So, um, but yeah, it took me a year. But for me, movement, music, those were more therapeutic to me than anything that you could put into a pill form. So for me, that was super helpful. This sounds like a superpower to me, honestly, to be able to have an intention to be happy. I've had a few guests on that have lost people in their lives. And one of the most common feelings, which is so understandable, is that you almost feel guilt wanting to be happy again. Absolutely. You felt that too? Absolutely. Completely. That's so normal. That is so normal. Like the first time you laugh after you lose someone, you feel guilty. It's like you shouldn't be happy. But then I remember so quickly, as soon as I thought that, I had an overwhelming, like, feeling consuming that was just like, no, he'd want you to be happy. And I promised myself to when he was sick. Like, I was out for a walk by myself when he was sick. I There was a song that I had really connected to, and it was, I mean, it's almost like a rock song, but, like, I would listen to it, and it was just so loud. In the song, it said, I'll never forget, I'll never regret, I'll live my life. Like, those were the lyrics in the song, and I remember being on that walk and, like, making a promise to like myself and to him too, that I promise like after you're gone, I'll still like live my life just because I have these other kids too that are looking to me for this example. So I can teach them how you give up or I can teach them how you fight because they're they're going to go through hard things too. We all do. So you can either quit or you can push forward. So it's amazing. You said something in one of your um, Instagram posts that I really like and it's that something along these lines. You said, life can be full of joy even when our happiness fluctuates because of our circumstances. Absolutely. Elaborate on that because I think it's so poignant. I love it. (laughs) Yay, I love that. And that's taken a lot of years of really trying to dissect because for so long you hear happiness is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Yeah. And sometimes you're like, I'm trying. you You can... You can learn how to be full of joy, like how to have genuine joy even when your happiness isn't up. It's like you can be sad but still feel joy. And I think that the important aspect of that is being grateful for what you have Mm -hmm. and acknowledging and counting your blessings just as much, if not more, than you're counting your losses. You know, and I think it's really easy. Like think about two. So like say you have a friend and they're all you hear is like the bad things that they tell you about right. their husband or whatever. And then all of a right. sudden they're like, okay, we worked it out. We're fine. And you're like, no, but he's a jerk. <laughs> like, why are you back together with <laughs> him? All I've heard is the bad. Yeah. We tend to do that a lot is overshare. Yeah. Or overshare even with our people, like the negative things versus really try and focus on all of the good things. Yeah. And I, we do it to ourselves, right? Absolutely. We, we do it. But, the bad yeah. And we and even do it. I even think like in the universe and in the world, it's really interesting. Like, I mean, I know that some of your guests that have been on to before have talked about how oftentimes the world has a harder time celebrating a successful or a competent or a happy woman. Yes. They love to watch, not watch, but they can get behind someone who's going through something hard. Yeah. But it's kind of like the next thing, and then they'll move from drama to drama to drama to drama. And I think oftentimes, too, it's to help them not feel so alone because everyone yeah. struggles. 
Yeah. Why is it so hard to connect over that accomplishment and joy? I don't know, because I'm not that way. You know, I'm like, hey, there is enough room for everyone. I live in the land of... There is, it's a feast, not a famine. So yeah, there's enough for everyone. I wish everybody could be like that. I feel like I kind of go back and forth. Sometimes <laughs> I feel that way. And sometimes I'm like, oh, let's talk about how hard life is. It is hard though. And it's okay to like, it's okay to acknowledge when it's hard. Yeah. Though. And it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. But I do love that idea of let's figure out how to connect over happiness and success and joy mm-hmm. as much as we do over the negativity. Because for whatever totally. reason, it's so much easier to dwell in that world. I don't and know. isn't it interesting, too? I've seen it happen multiple times, like on social media. You'll see someone kind of like rise or even like a celebrity or something. Uh-huh. They'll rise to fame. And like people are such mega fans and they're so obsessed with them. And the second they make a mistake, everyone is so quick to like turn on them and pounce yeah. on them. It's just humans are really interesting. So I think that just like um, well, just really being aware. That's part of our, unfortunately, that's part of our world and part of the uh-huh. challenge we have right now. Don't be a fair, fair weather fan or a fair weather friend. <laughs> like love them, love them through. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> no, but yeah, love your people through the good times and the bad times. So let's go back to kind of the positive things that came from you, from Dylan, because earlier when we were talking about this, I think you you said in some way that you almost, you're so grateful for the experience because of so much positivity. Tell us some of the things you do to celebrate him every year, some of the causes that you're involved with all inspired from him and his life. Yeah. So going through that whole experience too, anytime I even share with someone who's lost, I we can connect on the fact that it's the most wonderful side of the world you hope you never have to discover. So it's like all of a sudden you're put in this position where people show up and they bring you food and they want to come clean your house. And I mean, that at first to me, I was like, oh, no, 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 I don't need anyone in my space. I'm good. I'm independent. I don't need any of that. And I remember my mother-in-law telling me, hey, by you saying no to these people, you're taking away their opportunity to serve you or their opportunity to develop compassion, honestly. Mm -hmm. And of course, it did end up helping me a ton, but that was really hard to accept help at first, but there is there are so many great people out there. You know, and that's what I'm mm-hmm. talking about too. Like oftentimes we just hear about all the bad ones versus not always highlighting the good ones. So I mean even that's what I even want to do on my social media is I want to highlight more good things and good people and people that are really trying to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so while Dylan was sick with about a month before he passed away, a family, like some family friends brought over, they just knocked on our door unexpectedly and they were just standing there. And there was this tree that was, it just had branches and they had tied gift cards and money on it. So it's, oh. we call it a giving tree now. And they came in and the mom at the time had cancer too. So it was kind of like a something she could do. Mm-hmm. And honestly, one of our other favorite philosophies is whenever you are feeling blue, do something for someone who is bluer than you. Oh. So that's just kind of, it's a good like rule of thumb. If you're ever feeling sad about your life situation, look around. So true. You'll find someone. It's so true. You'll forget. And then you fill your own buck by filling, buck it up by filling someone else's up. It. So anyway, three weeks before Dylan died, we decided that we wanted to do that for someone else. I mean, because we were kind of in not a great place then. He wasn't feeling well and mm-hmm. everything was pretty bleak yeah. in those last couple of weeks. But so we did a bake sale. We made Muddy Buddies, which are his favorite treat. Muddy Buddies and Scotcheroos and that yummy caramel popcorn and a bunch of things. And we sold them outside on our street. And we took them down to my dance studio too and sold them. And we raised, I think it was like $300 for this cute boy. His name is Tyler Smith. We met him at another cancer event like a couple of weeks before that. He was 15. He had liver cancer. He since has passed away too. But so while Dylan was sick, we ended up taking a giving tree over to him. And it's really cool because you can do money. And then we did gift cards and things that sounded good to Dylan too. Because when mm-hmm. you're going through chemo or like radiation, you're 
taste is really, it's really hard. So like Jamba Juice is good or like they like salty food a lot too. So it's mm-hmm. like Cafe Rio, some of those things too. And then when they go to treatments, they can go through their gift cards to see what sound, sounds good to them oh, so after sweet. too. So we took that to him and then... From there, Tyler's family kind of took it and ran with it. They started taking trees to kids at primaries, and then it turned into a whole—it's a whole thing now. So, but it's—we are with an organization called Anything for a Friend, and we do giving trees. So, anything for a friend. Anything for a friend. That's the organization. And yeah, I mean the the what would you call her? The president Founder? founder founder. Her name's Becky Anderson, and she's actually she's a counselor. She's a therapist. So, but she had cancer herself, and she she's one of those people that once she's done with this life, she's going straight to the gold star room. <laughs> she's just like that kind of a person. But so, yeah, we're affiliated with them, and we do giving trees for people. So uh, we will match anything up to $500. So if people want to gather, so say like your neighbor ended uh-huh. up with cancer, like, and you wanted to do like a little neighborhood gathering, we provide the tree, and then also we'll match up to $500. But then, I mean, we've and had trees. And you get donations to fill the trees. From ever, yeah, and then you tie, yeah, we, we give oh, you the cute. cards to tie, and then you get to deliver it and everything too. So it's really cool. It just, sometimes people just don't know what to do when someone's going through something hard. a lot of times hard. people don't know yeah, what to so do. Yeah, so they just don't do anything. Or, but yeah. it's just like being a part of that is really, really awesome too. And then to see what's happened when you deliver the tree, the look on their faces and stuff too. But we like to do, my sister and I like to do now live trees. So sometimes like someone will pass, but you'll still have that tree that they've been able to plant in their yard. I love that idea because I think you're right. A lot of times you, maybe you don't do anything because you're afraid you're going to do the wrong thing. Yeah. And you're going to stir up emotions that you don't want to stir up or you're going to make it worse Mm -hmm. somehow. Yeah. And people just want to do something. Yeah. So that's, it's really great. But so every year to raise funds for that, we do, it's called the Fight to the Finish 5K at Weber State. We weren't able to have it in person this year. Mm -hmm. So everyone did their own, but you get to form your own team basically. So it's for someone who's either fighting some kind of illness or someone who's lost a battle to something. Our friend Kathy had one who lost both of her girls and husband in that boating accident in Bear Lake. So, like, I mean, there's so many different teams. There's usually about 50 teams, and every team has a different colored shirt. And on the front of it, it's the F2TF 5K, so Fight to the Finish 5K. And it's just a 5K, but, like, all along the way, it's called the Trail of Hope. And there's a picture of the person who the teams are for and their stories are on the back. It's just really special. That's amazing. And my sister is really great at making sure that it happens for us every year, and she's the one who does all the shirts for it. But this year we got to do it at Bear Lake with just our group and our family, so that was his favorite place. There's even a bench there up in Bear Lake. For Beach, yeah. And it says Bear Lake is the best place in the galaxy. So we were there about five days before he passed away, and that's where we took our last family picture on the beach in white. But So that's a special place to us, so we were able to do that this year. For him, anyway. So it's a really, really, really great opportunity for people just to come together to celebrate the life. Or if someone is still living and just fighting, it's just a really great— it's a great fight place to, to support people. Fight to the finish 5K. 5K. Is that put on by anything for a friend? Uh, yes. Yep. Okay. And so all the proceeds go towards the Giving Trees. Okay. Great organization to look into. release. It's just, it's really cool. Because it's like when someone is sick or when they're fighting, uh-huh. there's a lot of people around a lot of times to yeah. rally. But then once they pass on, there's not as m- many opportunities to continue to be surrounded and supported. Yeah. Because people do tend, and they don't mean to, but just by nature, people tend to, to kind of like— life. Yeah, they dissipate very quickly after someone's passed. Yeah. So being there for someone to celebrate after, the memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing that story. It's incredible. I want to kind of move into what you, where you are right now because cool. 
you have this dance studio, which in and of itself is a platform for you to influence kids. <laughs> Absolutely. Then, yeah. And then you have your social media. Let's talk about the dance studio first. My daughter's a dancer. Yes. We've been this, yay. Been in this world for like nine years. It's a positive world, but then there's also a lot of potential for negativity. There can be. It's, it's competitive. You know, you're looking at, I guess, I guess kind of looking at your body in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just a lot of trapped, I guess, there for a young be. girl. Yep. So I want to talk about what you do in your connection with your ki- with these kids that you are able to influence. You said that one of your missions is to bridge the gap between generations. Absolutely. And you're right there in there with today's generation. So <laughs> what are you doing for these kids? How do you take what you feel and know and communicate it to them? I mean, you know, my motto is dance lessons are life lessons. Yeah. So first, to start off with how I've been able to take the studio to where it's at today and why I feel like I mean, so many of our kids that graduate continue to come back to the studio, and they're around us all the time. Like, if you look at my social media, I've got tons of my former students that have even moved on to professional careers, but when they're home, they're hanging out with us. Like, we've become more of a second family to them. But so it first starts off with surrounding yourself with good people and people who you trust. I now have my own children that dance at my studio, and I think to myself, okay, who do I want my own kids to be influenced by? Yeah. So I surround myself with awesome faculty members. And I'm a really good delegator too. (laughs) (laughs) That is the only way to grow. I used to teach five days a week. I only only teach two days a week now. But it's super important for me to be in there and be involved with them too. There is just such a difference between even the way that I grew up versus the way that the kids these days are growing up. And I am around them all the time. So I do get to see the struggles that they face. And a lot of times, too, they've been able to come to either me or another teacher and share some hard things that they're going through. And then we've been able to kind of help them through some of those things, too. I think sometimes we get so busy and so caught up in our lives that we don't realize how different this world looks like. Like, how different it is for our kids these days. So like, true. it's so different. Much bigger difference between us and our children versus us and our Absolutely. parents, right? I didn't I mean, get a cell phone until I was married. Yeah, no, I know. Like, I was out of college when I right. got a cell phone. And right. then it was a gray screen, yeah. and you had to hit number one three yeah. times to and get to see. And you just wouldn't even text people. You no. call people because it was such a pain in the butt to you text anyway because yeah. it took like five hours. So, yeah, we didn't have all of those things, but we also didn't have the exposure that they have yeah. now. We also didn't have the comparison yeah. because we couldn't just get on our phone and start looking at our friends leaving us out on their Snapchat stories or, you know, like, or looking at someone's perfectly curated page and being yeah. like, oh, my gosh, like, oh. I will never have have that. that. Yeah, Yeah. I won't ever look like that. I didn't get invited to that. Like, they're perfect, yeah. And and kids, honestly, it's crazy, but they do that intentionally a lot. So it's—but even we do have some male dancers at the studio, too, and we've been able to have conversations with them on respecting women. And we take our jobs seriously. And we have a really great teaching opportunity there, too, because they respect us in the sense of, like— we teach them so much, and we are there with them, but we also, I think it's important for them to know that we want to hear them. We want to hear what they have to say. Not just, you do you, I'll do me. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know what they have to say. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we had a girl at our studio that she she has some emotional problems, and we're mm-hmm. aware of them and stuff, and she kind of lashed out at a teacher, which isn't okay right. and isn't acceptable, but she kind of couldn't snap out of it, so I brought her into the student lounge, just sat her down, and I just said, hey, I want to hear you. You know, like, tell me, what what are you thinking right now? Okay, I'll talk to you when you're calm. So we have a, a really great, like, opportunity there to connect to them on their level. And I mean, even something like, I know there's a lot of people that are anti-TikTok, and I totally get why they are anti-TikTok. It is what the kids are really involved in. Yeah. So it's kind of like you can be upset about it or you can go check it out and see what it looks like. 
So you can kind of speak their language a little, and then you can tell your kids, okay, so I saw this. You need to completely avoid this. I know what's going on here. I mean, there's so many apps that parents don't even know about, and they just get a lot of exposure. So you, you kind of have to get ahead of it. Yeah, and I think you kind of are a little unique in your ability to do that because you are a dancer, yep. and you do have bright red hair, <laughs> and you're super— I'm a cool mom. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was getting at, Maddie. Mom first. Mom first. Yeah, you don't give your little ones nope. those phones. But you you know you know what I mean? Like, you are cool. Like, I'm going to put air quotes around that, like, you're cool. Like, you're super fashionable. Oh, you're so nice. We'll get to, you've got Thanks your for telling clothing, me I'm cool. That's nice of you. Yeah, I I don't know if it means much coming from me because I'm not Absolutely. Cool you are super cool. Yes, no. you are. But you've got this, this thing about you, right? Like you are hip. You're cool. You're all those things. And me saying those words makes me say no, no. But you can connect. And I, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking how blessed are those kids that they get to be mentored by you? And how great is it that you're taking the, the, the qualities that you have in life, your personality, your look, your style, your your fashion, your funk, all of it, and you're using it to help these kids. I think that's amazing. That makes my heart go boom. <laughs> I love it, You're though. so sweet. Well, you know, as you're saying those things, though, I understand not everyone gets to work with teenagers, yeah. right? So not everyone— Not, but, everyone uh, not even even works. So, but then I guess my advice to parents is look who your kids are being mentored by. Look who they are being surrounded by. And I am a firm believer no matter what it is— Every child needs something. If they don't have something and they are just literally at home every day with their phone, period, that's it. That's when they sink into depression. That's when they do start to do a lot of the comparison. That's when they do start to target other kids, too. Like, I've seen that happen multiple times, like, over and over and over. I don't know if you knew my 14-year-old—well, she's 15 now. A little bit over a year ago, she fell getting off of a tramp. Oh. Fell getting off of a tramp. I have two daughters. So my older one fell getting off of a tramp, and it turned into this crazy bone infection. They almost had to amputate her foot twice. Whoa. Yeah, it usually only happens to diabetic adults. But anyway, she didn't walk for over a year. And I own a dance studio, and her little sister's a year younger than her. And the little sister tours conventions and does little things. And so there was already kind of a little bit of a, like a— Yeah, a Yeah, a thing there. So I saw her, like, not having dance, not being able to dance, like, sink into— a sad little space, but she is so much stronger now because of it. But still, we're trying to find that something because, it's, like I said, I think that kids need something. So, But now she's super—and she's di- she's discovering other talents. She's awesome. super into fashion. She's learning how to sew. She's learning how to play guitar. So sometimes those, like, little path redirections can lead us to discover things that we didn't really know were options for us. So, but they need something. Kids yeah. need something. And then look who your kids are being mentored by. Do you want your kids to become anything like the person like that, that adult you're that's influencing trusting them. them with a, yeah, a majority of their time? Okay. couple things I want to touch on. We've mentioned many, many times your social media, and you do quite a bit. A lot of dancing. Like, you're an amazing dancer. <laughs> do you know, it's Hello. so crazy. There was, I don't know, probably 15 years yeah. that I didn't want anyone to see me dance. And then, like, what? I put out a video once and— and I was just like, oh, wait, this is still fun because I think there's nothing like the magic of performance. Yeah. So it's like when you're on this yeah. little platform, it's still like a little stage. So it's totally kind of is. It's so cute. Why didn't you want to see you dance? I don't know. I was a mom. It just insecurities. Just okay. like getting older and like, are my friends going to think I'm so? I don't even okay, care Okay, I'm going to ask you about this. I really do. This is something that like, this is my own personal question. This is not on my podcast. Yeah, I got outline. you. How do you get over that insecurity of putting yourself out there on social media? I have a 
major phobia of sticking my face on social media, other than just a family photo, whatever, you know, yeah, but gotcha. like, I don't even really do it for my businesses now. Like because, how you get the confidence to do that. Yeah. Cause I do the same thing. I'm like, what if my neighbors see it? And they're like, she's such a poser. Like, how do you get over that feeling? You know, I, I care what the people that I care, the people who are closest to me, I care what they think about me. Uh-huh. But also I think it just comes down to being completely comfortable and owning who you are. Yeah. I know probably not everyone. I'm not everyone's cup of tea. It's totally fine. But then I'm like, some people don't even like tea. Some people like soda. Some yeah. people like hot chocolate. I'm not everyone's cup of tea, and that's totally fine. But just like I Don't gravitate towards everyone myself. So it's okay. You just have to be completely comfortable with yourself and know that there's probably people out there that are saying, oh my gosh, can you believe she dance on something? (laughs) I don't care. I don't care if those people aren't people that I keep around. And I even, I even, I'm sure that even people close to me are maybe like, oh my gosh, did you see that video? I don't care. You don't care. I literally don't care. I love it. Did it's it take freeing. you a minute to get it's there? It's freeing, though? for sure. Okay, good. Yeah, it was definitely work. Like, I have, I mean, even, like, from growing up, I'm just saying, like, when I was in fifth grade, I was in Weight Watchers. What? In fifth grade. Yeah. What? I mean, I, so I had, yeah, I had a lot of insecurities. I mean, I think just as a human, by nature, we have insecurities. But for sure. pushing past those and just really just embracing who you are and knowing you're not perfect and acknowledging when you're wrong yes. is very freeing. So I love that. I love hearing, though, that that you had insecurities, that it took you a minute. Because totally. I think we assume that, like, well, if I'm not naturally no. this outgoing person, no. then that's, I shouldn't try. No, but. and that's like someone saying, well, I just am not flexible. And just yeah. settling for that, saying, okay, well, no, because you can actually become really flexible stretch. if you stretch. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, no, it's work. Yeah. And it might be harder work for some people. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. It, mm-hmm. it may come more kinda, naturally. Yeah, and in different phases of life, too, you have, like, kind of flows, too. And if you're putting yourself in, like, a new experience, at first you're very insecure about it. I love it. You know, but then you just keep showing up. Okay. I love all your messages. I'm having so much fun having this conversation <laughs> with my best friend kind that I met all over the place. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> We're always oh, all over the place. you're the cutest. So is there any one final message that you'd like to leave to people that are listening to women in general? Or men. There might be a couple of men that listen to this. honestly, I think too many times we take ourselves way too seriously. And we think that there is one way to do everything. And if we're not doing exactly what everyone else is doing, and if our life doesn't look exactly like this person's, then we're failing. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to find the path that works for you, the path that works for your family, the path that works for your people, and also to be flexible. Because life is going to throw curveballs at you. Your path is something falls right in front of you when you're walking or you just going to stand there yeah. or and think that that's like the only path. And you're like, but wait, no, my life was supposed to look like this. Yeah. And then things start dropping in that path, like on your destination. That's life. So you can either stand there and feel bad and sit on the tree and like not move anywhere. And then you'll just get swallowed up. It's gonna, you're done. Life yeah, is you're done. done. And I, I've seen plenty of people that has happened to For too. Sure. And it's not, it's not enjoyable. And I think that life is meant to be enjoyed. In those moments, you have the opportunity to look around and see that there are literally millions mm-hmm. of paths that your life could take. And some could even lead to a better place that you didn't even know was out there. So be flexible. Don't compare yourself to others. Try to understand that you really can still experience true joy even when life isn't always happy. Even when you have those curveballs, but you can still ultimately, we still have it better than most people. I love it. You definitely have lived what you are teaching today. And 
You're such an inspiration to me. Well, Thank you are just you. the cutest. <laughs> Lunch You're the next cutest. week. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's go through where everyone can find you. Instagram is Mandy Shaw one, <laughs> but on TikTok you are the, the Mandy Shaw. Shaw. That's the best one. And then on Instagram, your new boutique, which is so cute, you guys. The funkiest, like unique style. We'll just we say kinda, totally yeah. And we just kind of my goal was to have something for everyone because again uh-huh. I'm trying to bridge you the do. gap. My mom, my mom's 64, she loves stuff in the shop. But then my teenage dancers at the studio, there's stuff that they love in the shop too. So it's like yeah, I just you want to hit variety. everyone. I just want to merge uh, the gap. And on Instagram that is at she said styles one. Yep. Got it. And the website is she said styles.com. Awesome. Anywhere else people should be looking for you? I mean you don't have to go to my TikTok because that's where I have more fun. Well, we already, we already laid out your TikTok, but yes. a lot of your TikTok moves to Instagram. Yeah, you're so. right. You're right. So With I would, reels. I would really encourage you guys to actually go and follow Mandy. Oh, Infinity Dance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Duh. At Infinity, Dan- that, Infinity that Dance main, UT. Infinity Dance UT. UT, yeah. And we have a lot of dancers that dance professionally, so it's kind of fun to follow like their paths and their journeys and stuff, too. Yeah. That'd probably kind of be your main thing. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Studio. It goes my kids, I'm a studio, and then fashion, but that's just kind of, it all goes hand in hand. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I would really encourage you to go out and get to know Mandy. She really is truly a sincerely sweet, beautiful person oh, and love so you. inspiring. And this has been so much fun to talk oh, to you. Love Thanks. you so much, Kate. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of She's Simply Amazing. If you are loving this podcast and getting so much out of it, please help us grow it. You can subscribe to the podcast and share each episode that you love. You can join our community on Instagram by following at Simply Amazing Podcast. And please, please, if you're loving this, go leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. Those reviews really help us grow. We'll see you next week.